Attention. Attenzione. Attention. Bartenders. Cocktail creators. You have just one day left to enter the annual Remy Martin Bartender Talent Academy cocktail competition. Submit your own riff on the classic cocktail, the sidecar. We've covered it, folks, by Friday, September 30th, and you can win a trip to France on top of a ton of great cash prizes. Head to the podcast page on the VinePair website to get all the details or check out the link in today's show notes. Hey, this is Tim McCurdy and welcome to VinePair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. I'm just going to come out and say it here. If you're reserving your mint sprigs and pewter cups solely for the first Saturday of May, you're doing it wrong, people. Not only is the mint julep a phenomenally refreshing whiskey drink, how can we ever expect to perfect something if we're only rolling it out once a year? I mean, that's the reason barely anyone knows how to properly cook a turkey. I go low and slow, then blast it at the end, just in case you're wondering. Back to juleps, though, and today's wonderful guest, Kim Hasserud. Kim is an award-winning mixologist and author who started her career back in the 90s in New York and now lives in Phoenix, Arizona, where she runs Garden Bar and the Cocktail Collaborative. Kim has done amazing work for the bartending community at large over the years, but especially so during the pandemic, where she helped raise and distribute over $10 million to bartenders through her board of directors role with the U.S. Bartenders Guild National Charity Foundation. Rather than cash, she's dishing out knowledge today, folks, and lots of it, particularly on the topic of mint. Honestly, the whole episode is packed with tasty little nuggets, but get ready for like five minutes on mint that will blow your mind. Muddlers at the ready, guys. It's the mint julep. You're listening to Cocktail College. And the fine folks bringing it to you, that's the VP Pod Network. All right, perfect. We're back. It's another episode of Cocktail College, and we're joined today by the wonderful Kim Hasrud. Kim, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for so much for for having me. I am super excited to talk about this drink. I can't wait to get into it, but before we do, I just want to give a shout out to the... uh, the fine folks at the LA Spirits Award, because this is another another great opportunity for me to be joined there by one of my colleagues there, yourself. Um, yeah, it's great to have the, the LA Spirits family on the podcast. Yeah, that was such a fun competition. Met so many great people. Um, yeah, it was it was a it was a it was a fun competition, and I got we got to taste some amazing spirits. We, yeah, we tasted some great stuff. Um, you know, certain phones were lost. During over the course of the time there, uh, they were also recovered. It was it's a wacky story, one for another day, I think. Yeah, that, I mean that's how I'm always going to associate you now, the guy that uh, lost his phone and got it back. But it's a great story <laughs> from an encampment. <laughs> Wonderful, you know. If you need any tips on that? Just 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 reach out on the side there, people. But I tell you, we were chatting about this drink then. It's the mint julep. And you know what? First of all, I'm excited that if people are listening to this when it comes out, 
we're doing this in September. It's Bourbon Heritage Month. But also, we're not just doing it around the Derby because, you know, elephant in the room. That's most people's association with it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind, it's kind of funny that it's become like such an iconic drink that's associated with the Derby. But it predates the Derby. Um quite a bit. And like, was, there's so many different variations. So excited to talk about the history and, and the evolution and, and what it's become. Let's do that then. Let's dive in there at the, at the beginning. What can you tell us about this, the history of the cocktail or maybe juleps in general? What do we know about that? What are some maybe important dates we can highlight? Yeah. You know, it was said to have actually have its roots, uh, like it's, it's roots in Arabia. And that it came from a word called julab, which was a drink that was made with water and rose petals. And then it kind of made its way through the Mediterranean where they replaced the rose petals with mint. And then they started using a lot of other a lot of other spirits. But it really kind of hit. I think it, it's big iconic status. And again, iconic status even before the Derby, like in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was one. Uh, so it was said to have been brought to like the the Round Robin Robin Bar at the Willard Hotel in Washington D.C. And this is where it was like introduced to politicians and where it's really great, kind of gained its like kind of elite status. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were so many like if you look through like you know old documents in the, in the 1800s and even early early 1900s. You know, it's listed in, there's references in books and in literature, politicians, Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders were said to have um, consumed it. It's mentioned in like some of Walt Whitman's works, mm. uh, the great Gatsby, Ernest Hemingway. So it really kind of had this this charm and, and everyone kind of had their own version of, of the mint julep. Um, it was also listed in the very first cocktail book, the Bon Vivant's uh, Companion by Jerry Thomas. In fact, it, it wasn't just listed in the book. There's a whole section in this first cocktail book um, that has like a lot of different variations. Wow. But, um, but yeah, but in the 1800s, I think is like when it really like hit its stride and was definitely seen as like this already this iconic cocktail that had nothing to do with the Kentucky Derby. It's nothing to do with uh, the Derby. Nothing to do with it, at least yet. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll get into that, I guess, a little bit later, but any theories there? So, you know, we we understand or you've explained that this is a cocktail made with, it's a category of cocktails. It's almost like, you know, the old fashioned category of cocktails, as it were. But what's happened over time is that's become synonymous with one version and basically one base spirit. So do you want to throw some theories out there as to how we arrive at the kind of modern day version and why that's become the preferred build of this drink? Right. I mean, if you look in this first cocktail book, I mean, they made it with, you know, claret, like a red wine. Mm. There were sherry versions, champagne versions. And the original version was made with like a brandy and cognac. That seems to be kind of a common thread through um, like a lot of the, the historical references. But, um, you know, it's interesting. It's one of those drinks that, you know, when you when you look in a mint julep, I mean, it is so like, and or the way it, it should look is like this, you know, mounds of crushed ice and loads of, of mint. And it is a very cooling drink. And I think that's 
you know, it was, it's also very kind of associated with like Southern culture, you yeah. know, and, and like has cooling effects. I mean, even just looking at the drink and putting your hands on that frosted glass with the, the crushed ice is like that alone has a cooling effect. And I think that's why in the South, it's also gained particularly some particular popularity just because of, you know, it's made for like hot days. You know, you want, you want to have a really ice cold, great drink. You know, the, mm-hmm. the julep is definitely more perfect than, than the julep. Um, yeah. So I guess but, those associations, yeah. right. Sorry to cut you off there. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 no. I think, um, I'm sorry. What was that? Say that one more time. So I guess those associations, the, you know, the Southern culture, the cooling nature of this drink and also, so, you know, that ties into bourbon, right. And, and, and you know, whiskey, whiskey making there also probably, as we've seen with other cocktails like the Sazerac, Phylloxera, Brandy, Cognac becoming more expensive, probably seems like it might track with that timeline too, just American whiskey overtaking Cognac and stuff in cocktails. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like to, to your point, we saw it happen in, in a variety of, of different classic cocktails, including the julep. And you know, I think it, it starts to kind of align. It was already kind of had this iconic status and then, you know, especially when, when politicians were introduced to it, it's kind of a natural progression for it to happen, uh, for it to become so iconic and, and with the uh, Kentucky Derby, because that is a very, like, Southern culture is obviously incorporated into, into the Derby. And it happens in the springtime in the height of, like, mint season, okay. too, where it's readily abundant, too. Um, so it kind of makes sense that it would kind of be I'll start to be aligned um, uh, aligned in the Derby in Kentucky, you know, where that is the home of bourbon too. So all of that kind of, all of that, all of that makes sense. And um, also just, you know, without trying to be too reductive here, but the, the generally sweeter profile of bourbon versus basically any of those spirits that we're talking about there, that really does in my mind seem to be a better match for mint than say, you know, cognac, which I'm sure would be great or even, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the, and we'll get into the technique in, in just a minute, but like, you know, a really good mint julep is ice, ice, ice cold. And it's also kind of diluted. You know, you, the worst thing to do is when you like, when you see a recipe for a mint julep and you were to try to make that fast, I have a really fun story, but, um, it's not going to be diluted enough. And so you need it to be really like kind of where you, the bourbon and the whiskey and the main spirit is like a front and plays a front and center role mm-hmm. um, that. And like, you know, with, with the ice and the mint, I think really accents bourbon and rye in, a, in such a beautiful way. I think what you're saying there too also highlights that this might come across as a simple drink, but this executing this really well is a study in understanding both how it's going to evolve over time and probably the situation that people are drinking them in, right? That it's going to be warm, that ice is going to melt and, and you need something that's going to hold up to that. Right. Right. So I have, have a fun story. When I was first bartending, I was working at this country club. It's called Apawamas country club in Rye, New York. I mean, it doesn't okay. get like more, more waspy than that. <laughs> And so Derby Day, a huge, huge tradition at this country club, you know, lots of, um, uh, yeah, everybody kind of the whole pomp and circumstance around it. Like, I think, I think this country club is like where Barbara Bush met, 
met um, George Bush at one point. Anyway, wow. but um, so yeah, so it came Derby Day, and this is the first year that I was working there, and you know, the manager just kind of handed me the recipe, you know, we need to make like 500 juleps. I'm like, okay. And if you just look at the recipe, all it is, is bourbon, a little bit of sugar, not much, a little bit mint and ice. Like that is it. So if you're trying to kind of like, oh, that's, you know, I'm going to add the bourbon, a little simple syrup, add ice and mint and I'm done. And so anyway, I was cranking them out and this one guy was watching me do it, this member. And he's like, he's like, he comes over and he's like, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am what are you doing? It's like, you know, it's Derby day. I'm making mint juleps. And he's like, no, 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 no. He goes, you know, juleps are from the South. And he had this really thick accent and he goes, juleps are from the South. He goes, we like our mint juleps. Like we like our iced tea, you know, a lot, a lot of ice, you know, a a little bit sweet and you got to take your time with it. And so for me, that was kind of a little bit of a game changer Mm -hmm. in that really understanding the technique and making this drink, you can't do it fast. It has to have time to dilute and get really, really cold. Um, you know, this is one of those drinks when I've made for like bigger parties, like if I make them in advance and like actually the longer that they sit out on the counter where it allows the frost to be around the glass, the better. Yeah, that makes sense. Just And, and just visually too, it's stunning. Yes, yes, yes. So you do have to, you do have to incorporate some technique and it does drive me crazy. You know, I've actually been in, in Louisville and have had mint juleps that were not good at all because they're just, you know, even at the place, the supposedly where they're the most popular, you know, I I think everybody's probably had a bad mint julep before, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, just with a little bit of technique, you can make a great one all the time. And so speaking of that, okay, we said this is bigger than the Derby. But when, when does this start to become the official drink there or are really associated with it beyond just geographical ties and, and cultural ties there? You know, it didn't actually become the official drink of like the, the Kentucky Derby until the 1980s. Wow. So like a good 100 years after the Kentucky Derby was established. So it just kind of goes to show you, I think, you know, just this, you know, it, you could even say it's kind of more, more recent. It's only been in like the past, you know, 40 years where it really became, mm-hmm. uh, associated and, and, and in a more official capacity. And how, and how does something like that come around? Is that big mint industry behind that backing that there <laughs> lobbying for it? You know what? I actually think it was probably more the, the bourbon companies more the bourbon, already yeah. Being, yeah, already being in, in Kentucky, um, and kind of, kind of pushing for that, if I had to guess. I find it's interesting now that we have, obviously, you know, the official bourbon of the Derby, but I think we also have the official julep whiskey of the Derby. I might be banking that up. I think it's Old Forester. Okay. Oh, oh, you know, it's all part of Brown. They're a part of Brown Brown Foreman, right? And, and, And oftentimes I think to myself, you know, what's to gain from doing that? But here I am on a podcast just calling them out. So, you know, they got me hook, line and sinker. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, th- I think Woodford Reserve and both Old Forest are used, but you know, they're, they're, they're great iconic brands. So I think it, um, yeah, it may, it makes sense, but you know, I love, there are so many different variations of it too, where you can use a little bit of brandy and a little bit of, oh. of rye and, and that makes it really nice too. Do you want us to, do you want us to get into that now? Do you want us to dive into the ingredients or is there anything else you wanted to cover there first? I think we've touched upon the profile, which is something we usually like to do before we get into the ingredients, but 
maybe you want to yeah. just highlight that again. Yeah. You know, I think, I think when you're making it, if you kind of think of it like, like, you know, Southern sweet tea, you know, yeah. Southern sweet tea has like a ton of ice, you know, and they, uh, and it's a little bit sweet, but they're constantly like adding ice and it's really cold. I think if you kind of have that in your mindset, when you're yeah. making a mint julep, that can kind of help with, with the, the technique and what the flavor profile should be. Great. Um, but yeah, I'd love to, to let's dive into, let's do the ingredients. Let's go. Let's go yeah. bourbon first. All right. You know, the guys, the big cats over there at Brown Foreman, they're happy. They've got their shout out, which is, you know, completely organic. Um, but let's look at it more, first of all, from a flavor profile, maybe even mash bill. What are you looking for from this bourbon? Are, are, are you looking for something, maybe a wheated bourbon, a high rye? Is that something you're thinking about for an ideal version of this drink? I think an ideal version is maybe even like a little bit higher proof. Mm -hmm. I would say um, a little bit higher proof because you're, you're unlike other cocktails where there might be like 30% dilution. The dilution in this cocktail is about a hundred percent. Yep. So, so you're, you are massively diluting it. So you need a bourbon that is going to be strong and really stand up to that. So even when it's ice cold and you're getting all of that and, and it's melting away that you're really going to be able to, to taste the bourbon. Mm -hmm. So I think something that has like a high rye content, um, and maybe even like a higher proof, I think plays, uh, plays really well. And, and how high are we talking there? Cause these days, you know, I think I tried something the other day at the office, a little sample here, and it was close to 60. I want to say close to 68%. Maybe maybe it was 66. And I'm like, you know, I like neat spirits and I, and I don't mind the occasional cash strength whiskey, but that was a, that was a lot for me. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would go that high. <laughs> yeah. And no, <laughs> so maybe what, like, uh, are, are we talking like a, a bonded or maybe just a little bit higher than that, but not, not getting into the the hazmat territory, as some people call it. Right. I wouldn't get into cast strength territory, but mm -hmm. bonded, I think is good. Mm -hmm. I tell you what I'm seeing as well. Little, little, um, sort of, sorry, little sidebar here, but there's, um, new riff whose whiskeys I enjoy tremendously kind of like, uh, not sure. Are, are you familiar with new riff had those before? No, they're kind of like a, a, a craft brand, but that make good, bourbon, which is not always the case. They make rye as well, fantastically. But I've seen some of their cast strength stuff coming out recently, and it's only 55, and it's incredible. And I kind of did a double take when I read that on the label, because I would, you know, you'd expect it to be a lot more. So I'm here for that, if that's a trend that's happening. Wow. Yeah, I got to try that. It sounds amazing. But yeah, so um, otherwise, in, on the bourbon front, sorry, I completely cut you off there. But um, what else are you thinking when it comes to bourbon for this? Um, are there any brands you want to call out specifically or any other notes beyond the kind of proof in the, in the rye there? You know, um, like mixture, I think I really like Michter's mm -hmm. whiskey. I think, I think they have a great bourbon and a great rye. Um, they also have some, some higher proof ones like that, are in, that are in like the, a little over a hundred proof, which are just delicious, mm -hmm. you know? And, and the thing is like when, even though it's, it's a higher proof and you're adding all of the dilution, I think one key component is just the aromatics you're getting off of that too. You know, the higher the proof of a spirit, the more uh, aromatics and flavor you're going to get too. And that connected or combined with the mint, it's just like, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect match. Because I think it is possible to, to if you use, you know, um, uh, 
an 80 proof or, you know, bourbon or, or rye, it might not, you're just not going to get the same kind of aromatic punch. For sure. Yeah. I think, yeah, you probably really need those things. And, you know, those are intense ingredients, right? I mean, let's get into mint now, but you need something that's intense that can ha- that can stand up to that mint. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think when, in talking about the mint, like you need a lot of it. I mean, I've seen, you know, I, nothing is worse than getting a julep where you get like this little like limp sprig, you know, <laughs> off on top of it. You need a lot. Um, and it's interesting. There, there's a little bit of a debate on whether, you know, you should muddle the mint, let it sit there and then take the mint out. Or if you should leave the mint in the glass. Um, I know people in, in New Orleans like are, are big proponents of no, you got to take you got to take the mint out. Um, I'm a big fan of keeping the mint in because I think especially if you're using a glass, it, it's prettier. Yeah. And some of the argument of why you should take it out is because bitter, uh, the mint might have a tendency to get a little bitter over time. But my experience is that by the time it gets bitter, people are already finished with the drink before that happens. Yeah. Let's, let's not forget that this is something people are, people are crushing to, to, you know, maybe refresh themselves with. Right, right, right. So crushing it. Um, and, and, you know, and like sometimes I read recipes too, where it's like, you know, muddle four mint leaves, you know, no, you need like a good pinch. You need like almost a handful of mint. So I'm talking like 10 or 15 good, good, you know, mint sprigs and, and mint in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but you but, are, yeah. you are muddling, sorry. Yes. So I do, I do kind of, I do kind of a muddle and a swizzle actually. So my technique is, you know, I, I add the bourbon, I add a little bit of simple syrup and that, that can be kind of, you know, um, you know, if you want yours more drier, you can add just a bar spoon. I like mine a little bit sweeter. I add like a half an ounce and then I'll take, uh, like the handful of mint, I'll muddle that in there. And then I'll add, I'll fill up like halfway with ice, um, you know, and start to start to kind of swizzle it together, swizzle it together. And I'm doing that for probably like a good, good minute or so and really get that, get, get that bourbon to, to melt that ice. And I just keep adding ice and swizzling it. Mm-hmm. I swizzle, I swizzle. Yeah. Until you get to the very top and then that's when you can kind of put a big old mound of crushed ice on top. Um, and then you also want to add a lot of mint, uh, sprigs on the very top of the drink. And are you, um, are you, are you employing a swizzle stick for that then? I do. Yeah. Talk I us definitely through swizzle do. sticks. I don't, I feel like these is, these is an underappreciated where, I mean, we might get into this later, but an underappreciated bar tool and often not deployed well. It's not, you know, some people, I mean, there are like the classic swizzle sticks that are made from, from the tree branch. Those are good too, but there are a lot of really great bar spoons that kind of serve the purpose that are double-ended. You know, you have the spoon on one end and on the other end might be like a little bit of a, um, a flattened bottom that can be kind of a muddler and a swizzle too. Mm -hmm. And when I swizzle, you know, typical swizzle is like that, that a tree branch where you're taking it between your two palms and you're kind of going back and forth. But, um, when I swizzle and we use the bar spoon, we kind of take it and we're kind of just sort of muddling it and stirring it all at the same time in the glass itself. Give yourself but, a bit of a break on that action as well there. Cause you know, if anyone's tried to light a fire in the wild, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We are not promoting arson here or whatever, you know, but 
what, what, you know, pyromania, not at all. But, you know, it's, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe you're in the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts there. Um, you know, wonderful technique to learn. Well, you know, girls can be in the Boy Scouts now. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, I think and that's all we're going to say about that one. Uh, <laughs> I've got one for you. And I remember this, uh, we spoke about this. I believe this is a technique I've learned and I'm keen to get your feedback on it. Um, okay. If you find yourself with leftover mint, apparently you should not, according to this advice today, use a lot. If It's that classic old thing that people say, you know, when you think you've added enough, add more. Yes. But I got, I got a tip here from, I think it's the chef, Wita Michelle. I, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. And I, I interviewed her once for a story a while back about kind of preparing for a derby party. And she said, invariably, you might be left over with some mint. So you can start next year's preparation early by um, buying a new bottle of bourbon, emptying it out into a different container, stuffing that bourbon, that bottle with mint leaves and then topping it back up with the bourbon and leaving that to infuse for a year. I mean, I've not tried it. It sounds intense, but I do love a project. Wow. I would have never thought about that. I, I you know, the idea of like leaving mint and liquid, I, because you know, we've all batched cocktails and we've seen like mint turn. Um, yeah. and it is not a pleasant side, but maybe in something that's 80 proof or higher, it actually does preserve it in a way that I haven't experienced before. So I am, I am, I want to look at that with an open mind and give, give that a try, but gosh, man, if that worked. It and sounds it, and intense, it, doesn't it? Yeah. It sounds like it could be amazing. Fans of Spearmint will enjoy or, you know, Orbit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here, question for you. Not one you get asked every day. What is your favorite variety of mint? You got pepper you know, out there. Not- Okay, that, that's a loaded question because uh, we grow like a lot of different uh, mint at the garden bar. Mm-hmm. And so there is mint that I love to use for flavor. And then there's mint that I love to use for garnishes. Um, so for, for flavor, I love the typical, there's actually called kernel mint. It's, it's great. It's, it's, uh, um, and I think it makes, uh, it's the perfect like mint julep mint. You know, mm. it's good for flavor wise. It's good for... Um, it looks really pretty on the mint julep too, but I'm a big fan of like also kind of adding in other mint, like using chocolate mint or using pineapple mint. I think those are really good Whoa. for decor, you know, for, um, cause they look really pretty. Um, but they're a lot more subtle. Like when you, there's also apple mint, there's also a grapefruit mint. I would say all of the kind of varietals seem to be a little bit more subtle in mint flavor relative to like spearmint or, mm-hmm kernel mint or peppermint. You heard it here first, folks. Kim Hasserud says, if you're using anything fewer than three varieties of mint in your mint julep, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. You're phoning it in. <laughs> we just like to have fun with it. Like we, we do, uh, um, at, our, at the garden bar, we have, uh, we do our garden julep. And so we're actually adding like a little bit of, um, some herbal liqueur. There's a great garden party liqueur, Called the, uh, we have, there's a thyme and a rosemary liqueur we add just to give it a little bit more herbaceousness. Nice. But one really, one really cool, you just remind me of this cool thing that we did for Derby Day this year is I brought in a local florist and we did a whole class called the Art of the Julep. 
So she came in and we, she, like I told, talked a little bit about the history and technique of the julep. And she talked about how she would go about like decorating the mint julep. So we used different varieties of mint. She used some florals and we did these really beautiful mint juleps. And I think that's the other thing of a mint julep is that they can be like this work of art. Yeah. You know, if you look back at some of the, even some of the pictures in the first cocktail book, the Bon Vivant's Companion, if you look at some of the images of juleps, I mean, they are gorgeous. They're beautiful, just mounds of crushed ice and, and different fruits and lemon wedges and, I mean, they're beautiful, you know, and especially if you top that off with a little like sprinkle of um, powdered sugar. I mean, they're they're beautiful. I mean, we take these things for granted, but imagine back then, you know, when, when you know, when that book comes out, just how powerful that must have been receiving a drink like that, just adorned with all these different things must have been incredible. Oh, my gosh. And, and you think about the execution of what it took to do that relative to what they had at their fingertips and what we have at our fingertips today. I mean, ice was a really big freaking deal, you know, I mean, for them to, to try to get like shaved ice and, and all of those ingredients took a lot more work than, than what we have to do today. So, yeah, I mean, that must've been like, I mean, just a, a, like like you said, like just a work of art getting BFD. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What about, okay. So next one, sweetener. Are you going down the simple route or are you going sugar? What's, what's the school of thought here? You know, I've used both. Um, gosh, there's so many things that you can use. I've used honey before plays so well with bourbon and rye. Uh, Demerara does really well with bourbon and rye, rye accents it. Um, maple syrup, uh, mm. works really well. Simple syrup. Uh, I mean, I mean, all of them are, are really good. It kind of, kind of just depends on the flavor profile that, that you want to go for. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's so many options at your fingertips, but you know, for like our garden julep, I just stick with a straight, simple syrup just because I really want the, the bourbon to stand on its own and those herbaceous notes to come out. I don't at all want to, want to mask those things. So I use a straight two to one simple syrup. Adding sweetness, but not flavor there. Right, right. It's interesting, too, hearing you say that. I mean, obviously, the base spirit is something that can be changed about this. But really, your only other avenue for for riffing or, you know, customizing this cocktail is the sweetening agent. And I I think there's only there can't be many drinks out there where that's the case. So I think that is interesting. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, there's a lot of things that you could do unless you want to infuse the bourbon with something else, which is you um or you know yeah there's also you know you've seen like people are adding peach brandy or different modifiers to it too but uh but yeah but the sweetening agent you know is i mean you're only adding you know a lot of people just want like a small amount of sweetness so just a bar spoon so it may not be a whole lot of flavor but um enough to enough to make a difference especially if that's the i mean especially because the only other ingredients are mint Mm -hmm. and and the whiskey I'm throwing, I'm going to throw one at you here that we don't have on our list in front of us, but is there a case to be made for using either bitters or saline solution in this one? We've had, we've had a lot of guests recently who enjoy a bit of saline. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there there is a place for that because, you know, when you add a little bit of a saline solution, it makes things taste sweeter, even mm. though it's not, it is the perception of, of sweetness. So, yeah, I mean, I've never had it in a julep before, but I think it 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 could work. It doesn't seem um, like maybe the best candidate for me, like, okay, martini, I get it, but yeah. Maybe yeah. this one gets lost a bit or, or it's just an extra step that maybe we can just, we can skip that one. Yeah. I like it. I like it when I'm, when I'm using it, when I am with cocktails that may have a little bit of citrus to them. Yeah. Feeling kind of makes sense. But with the julep, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't want to say no. I've never had, cause I've never tried it before, but. We can't so definitively be say. Yeah. Cool. Next one, ice. And usually, you know, we don't always speak about ice as being an ingredient we do like to highlight its importance on this show but it's a big one in this drink we've covered it a few times already over the course of the episode but tell us everything you want about the ice that you're using for for a wonderful mint julep yeah i mean this is one of the ingredients like, like you said it is a central component in this drink um, and it serves it serves multiple purposes and that's why it's such a critical component is you know one it makes that drink really cold. You know, you want it to be as cold as possible and it reaches reaches kind of equilibrium in, the, in that glass. So it needs to be ice, ice, ice cold. And you can't get it that cold with cubed ice. You can only get it that cold with like that crushed ice. So Ooh. that's important. And you can, get, you can get pebble ice. You know, some bars have it. Um, if you, you can also just make, you know, crushed ice in a blender, put it in and, and chop it up and use that. Or if you have a Lewis bag, um, it's just a canvas bag and put cubed ice in there and give, give that muddler or, or relieve some stress. Yeah. Whatever you have real, yeah. Relieve some stress, get that, get that crushed up and, and put it in there or, you know, go to, go to Sonic. I mean, Sonic has amazing ice and you can get like their big, you know, two, whatever, probably like two or three pounds for like a couple of bucks. Um, so I highly recommend, like if you're going to do your derby party, I would, I mean, I would go to Sonic all day long and get ice from them. It's cheap and it's easy to use. Amazing. I love that. I love that as a, as a, as a little tip there. You know, a, a Sonic just opened up in my neighborhood here in Queens. Um, it's not a drive-through. So I worry they might not have one, but I'm, you know, I'm going down there. I still haven't tried it out yet. But I, I know people are very, very passionate about Sonic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mean passionate about their ice or just passionate about Sonic in general? In general, but I definitely think within the community that we're talking about here, actually, yeah, that the ice is something I have heard come up before. And I'm like, that's a cool tip. Yeah, they have the Scotsman machine. So a lot of bars do have the same machine. But yeah, but it's hard to find that, I mean, like the Scotsman just makes like the best pebble ice. So, um, yeah, take advantage of it. And they mm -hmm. don't sell it to that many people. So they usually have a lot of it in stock because all of their drinks are made with like that, that, that pebble ice. So yeah, good tip. And it's inexpensive. Fantastic. All right. What we're going to do here now, we're going to make the drink. We're going to make it over the, uh, over the audio sphere here between us. You're going to show us, or you're going to tell us how you'd approach this as if you were making it for us in person. You got it. So I would start with the glass. I mean, the, the traditional glass is like that, that pewter glass, but you can certainly make it in, um, in a tall glass at garden bar. We actually have these really cool beakers that we use. Yeah. Um, 
And I think like glassware and oh, another thing component about what the ice does too, is that it has the ability to frost the glass. So frosting happens when it, um, when you get that kind of layer of frost on the outside of the glass, which looks beautiful. You can't get that with cubed ice yeah, take, or it takes a really long time, but um, you could do it with the pedal ice. So anyway, I get the glass ready um, and I get, oh, you know, one more thing about, about mint that we should, should talk about. And, and with mint preparation is, you know, you really want that, that mint to be really beautiful. And we shock the mint. This is, this is a process that's also called the Vestino method of, of preparing mint. Okay. So we, so we will get like, we'll order 10 pounds of mint for derby season. Right. So we'll take the mint and first we'll take the sprig and we'll take off all of the leaves on the long sprig. And we set that aside. And we put that in a container where we're layering it like with wet paper towels to keep it fresh. Right. But even before, like even before all of that process starts, we take like a big bucket of crushed ice, fill it with water, that water is ice cold freezing. And we dunk it in, we dunk all of the mint, that entire bag of mint or um, into that ice cold water for like 12 minutes. And what that does is it, it tricks the mint into thinking that it's, it's, it's freezing, that it's freezing cold. So it goes into kind of a hibernation mode and it won't die. Whoa. So when you are preparing it, you can prepare this mint that will not go limp and it will last for, I've prepared mint before and it's been in my fridge for like three weeks and it still looks amazing. Whoa. If you want to, if you work at a bar and you're constantly having to go through mint, on a nightly basis because it gets really limp and you don't really want to serve a limp mint sprig, we recommend going through this process. So just shock the mint. So it stays in there in cold water. After about 12 minutes, you can take it out and prepare it. So after it's been sitting there for 12 minutes, we take it out, we take the long stalks and we peel all of the, or just pluck all of the, the mint leaves um, on the stock and put that aside into a container where we're layering it with wet paper towels and then you have the top stock and we set it down on the ground, um, set it on the table. And then we do that with all of the mint sprigs. So at the end, we have kind of this bunch of mint sprigs that have long stalks. We, we cut the end and then we place that in like a, a deli container or some kind of a vase. And you want to treat it like they're flowers. Mm-hmm. When you cut the end and you put it, you could actually put it in soda water or maybe some, some warm water. Put that in there and it will last for weeks. So this is, we use that for our garnishes, and then we use all of our mint leaves for the muddling part. This but is, they look, this is incredible. Yeah, it's a really, really bright green, lush. I mean, if you want those, if you, I mean, and I think that's so incredibly important for a mint julep. So highly recommend going through that, going through that process to make the mint. Okay. So a few questions so, here. Sorry, I, I, I can't let that one just slide by. That was incredible. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, few follow-ups. You say you're ordering what for Derby Day weekend, what, 10, 10 pounds of mint? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're ordering like 10 pounds of mint. And how, how many people are preparing that and how long is that taking? Because if this were a job when I worked in the kitchen, I'd be avoiding it. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it gets kind of zen, mm-hmm. you know, like when I think when you're juicing juice too, and, and like if you're ever having to sit there and like pluck mint, uh, you know, it doesn't, it, you know, the, the, I think the longest part is, you know, letting it sit there, but you can go and do, do other things. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, but I think the key is that yes, this takes a long time on the front end, but you're having very little go to waste. 
So it's not like you're having bartenders on mint duty every single day of your mm-hmm. shift. You already prepared it in advance. It's not going bad and it's going to last a long time. So in the end, preparing it that way actually does save you. Saves you time, saves you money by the sounds of it as yeah. well. No, and, and and by the way, I just want to say this is this is a cocktail where mint is named. Well, it's, it's in the name, right? So <laughs> I would, I'm happy to hear you paying that ingredient so much respect. So just wanted to highlight that. <laughs> Well, thanks. Yeah, it definitely, definitely deserves some, some respect. So, okay. So, so technique. So, you know, you start with the bourbon, add like a handful of mint. When I say a handful of mint, it's going to be about 10 to 15 mint leaves. I add a little bit of the simple syrup. Um, I add a half ounce, but you can add a bar spoon, you know, if you want it a little bit drier. And then I add, like, I fill about halfway with the crushed ice, start swizzling it. And you only want to swizzle that and kind of stir that mint up kind of you're muddling it at the same time. And what I'm really doing is I'm trying to melt that ice. I want it to be diluted. Um, you want it to be about 100% dilution. So I'm really trying to like melt that ice with the mint, muddling it with the bourbon. So after about a minute of swizzling that, I add more ice. And I do that to now it's about three quarters full of ice and I'm swizzling it and I'm muddling it again, right? And I'm kind of you know stirring it, stirring it, stirring it, stirring it. Um, do that for about another like 30, 45 seconds. And then finally I'm adding my mound of crushed ice on top. So you want a good, like kind of round mint, um, on the top. And then I add, uh, then I'm adding all of my mint sprigs on the top. If you want to, you know, you can also, when I'm doing that swizzle process, you can also kind of throw in some fresh fruit if you want to get a little crazy. Um, but then at the very top, you know, I'm adding not just one mint sprig, but I'm adding probably like three to five mint sprigs on there. I really want a good bushel of mint. I don't want this tiny little mint sprig. I want, as soon as a guest picks that up and puts that to their face, the first whiff that they're getting is just this incredible mint aroma. Like that is part of the experience of experiencing a really good mint julep Mm -hmm. is going to be hit with that mint. So even when you put your straw in, you want your little straw to go down into the drink that's right within that nest that mint nest. Um, and then for kind of the, the very toppers, if you want to take a little bit of powdered sugar and just kind of barely sprinkle it on top to give it a little bit of a dusting. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful drink. So that's it. And then, yeah. And you can actually let them sit there on the counter. You know, if you're expecting a lot of guests or derby parties, you can let it sit there on the counter for like, you know, 10 minutes It's still going to be an amazing drink and even look better because by then, that frost would have happened on the outside of the glass, which also makes it really uh, appealing. Incredible. All right, I got some follow-ups here for you. First of all, bourbon, you said two ounces of bourbon? Two ounces, yeah. Fantastic. Um, Second one, pewter mugs. Is is the julep industry supporting the the, the pewter industry? What, What else does pewter get used for these days? I don't feel like they're as popular. No, they're not, you know, and I think I, there's a lot of debate on whether you should go with the, with the traditional pewter cup. I mean, I think the problem is they're pretty, they can be pretty expensive. Yeah. So sometimes they go disappearing. You know, yep, at, yep, at bars. Yep. Yeah. Um, anyway, they're way more expensive than, than the copper mugs. The you copper, know, like yeah. Really, and then yeah. I guess you got the silver, silver as well. Sometimes I guess. Yeah. Use, yeah. Yeah, you got the silver. And I do think that they are really pretty. And there's there's some cheaper versions too. 
but um, I mean, they look they look ama- amazing in those those pewter mugs. Yeah. Um, but they're just they're just a little more expensive. And then I guess final one here might be might be a controversial topic. We're gonna get into it. Okay. Straws, because this is a drink you have to have out of a straw. Absolutely. Yeah. Where are you at these days not, with straws? But you know, but there's there's right now. I mean, t- today there's so many plastic alternatives. We use a straw made um, from bamboo. It's sturdy, stays in the drink. It doesn't get you know, it doesn't get soft, and um, at least not for a while. So yeah. I think I think nowadays there's so many great alternatives that you can use. But this is you know, there's also just the metal straws too, which are great. But sometimes those can walk away, and they may not be yeah. as cost effective for some bars. Um, also, but, that's yeah, gonna but get think, cold that metal one. Yeah, they can get really cold. Um, another reason for a straw too is that, uh, oh, you know, another reason for actually the uh, crushed ice too is that it can kind of act as a as a sieve. Yeah. Too, so you're not getting kind of like the the chunks of mint like floating up. Um, but yeah, you do need a straw to go all the way down, so you're still getting a lot of that mint flavor um, with the bourbon. So yeah, you need it. And that and that bamboo as well does seem to be. If, I don't know. It feels more to me like fitting than a than a plastic straw in that container in in that drinking vessel, and also with this drink. Yeah, I do too. I would recommend getting like the the bamboo straw or the um. There's some agave straws too, which are which are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, or the or the metal straw. And I guess if anyone's seriously worried about um you know, sieving and, and that mint, especially if you're going, if you're going to town there with a swizzling, there's the old bombisha they have out in Argentina that you use for your yerba mate, sherba mate. I don't know. That was, that was, that was popular for a bit here now. I don't know. Is that the one that has the built in? It has. Yeah. It has the built in thing on the end there. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Built in sieve. Good for, good for juleps too. I don't know. I don't know whether anyone's ever tried that, but I, that's a great idea. (laughs) <laughs> All right then. Any uh, any final thoughts on the on the mint julep today, or anything else that we've covered before we move into the next section? Gosh, you know, I think I I hope I gave some good tips for people people to use. But it is such a simple drink, but it's all about the technique. So if you, um, yeah, I would just recommend you know making sure you follow the 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 technique mm-hmm. and that you're getting all that dilution and crushed ice because anybody can make one. You just got to do the right technique. Are you kidding me on, on worrying if people, if people have come away with great tips from this, you know, Kim, the mint whisperer, I think. Incredible. Let's do it though. Let's move into the second part of the show. The bit where we get to know you more as a drinker and a bartender. I'm going to start with question number one. What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? By far, gin. Uh, you know, we have as a as a concept that uses a lot of seasonal and, and garden fresh ingredients. I find that gin is the easiest spirit to work with because gin has so many botanicals uh, in it that I can kind of like pick and choose different gins depending on what kind of flavors I want to enhance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find gin. Uh, probably most aligned with our concept. Amazing. Yeah, it's really, it's incredible. I'm a gin lover. It's, it's well documented and uh, that's where I'm going as well. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, I, when I was first bartending, there was like three gins on the market. <laughs> you know, I'm going to totally date myself, but, uh, but it, it's, it's been amazing to see how that category has just exploded and all of the such beautiful expressions of gin, um, you know, and even like, you know, there's the London dry and then, uh, you know, the, the new world and, but I think one of the exciting, you know, things is that you're seeing kind of all of these like sub categories pop yeah. up. The most recent being like oceanic gins, I think Ooh. is going all the rise. I'm seeing a lot more gins with like ocean botanicals, which is really cool. Um, but anyway, I love it. I love it for all those reasons. Works really well for that category. Yeah. Incredible. All right. Then question number two, which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? so many, you know, well, let me kind of answer that in two parts. Like my, my favorite bar tool is probably the muddler because I feel like as a bar that uses a lot of fresh ingredients, it's the one tool that I can get the flavor of that ingredient immediately into the drink with a muddler, right? Whether peaches or herbs or you know, watermelon, whatever I can, that is how I can, I, Hey, I just cut some fresh watermelon and I want to get that into the drink. I can muddle it and get that, that flavor into the drink. Nice. So my muddler my, is my favorite ingre- tool for that reason. As far as like undervalued bar tool, I think I'm a huge proponent of how something feels, you know, in, in, in my hand um, versus the aesthetic yeah. of a tool. Um, and like, I think, like having a really good mixing tin is, is really undervalued and really important. You know, I like to have a tin so that it fits in my hand. It has a good weight. I can, you know, hold a tin, uh, set in my hand really easily and pop it really easily. You know, there are a lot of cheap ones out there and there are a lot of tins that might be, you know, used as as gifts from brands, but just kind of be wary because, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the paint might chip off or, uh, you know, or, or it breaks out of, doesn't break the round really easily. It's hard to kind of unseal. So I think, you know, having a really good tin that just feels good in your hand, um, will make your life easier behind the bar. You know, you can make drinks faster and easier. And so I think that sometimes undervalued, but a really good mixing tin and a really good mixing tin set, I think is really important. Fantastic. Yeah. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? I've received a lot of good advice. Um, but two thing two things come to mind. One is I received this when I actually when I was working at that at that country club, uh, the story I told earlier, where the GM said, you know, we were talking about like, you know, careers, where we were going and you know what I wanted to do. And he said, you know, and people were often associating like when you got to be at a certain position with luck. And he said, you know, luck is when opportunity meets preparedness. And that has really stayed with me throughout my entire career because it's not luck. You know, I've, I've written eight cocktail books, books and people like, Oh, you're really lucky. I'm like, no, it wasn't luck. I was really prepared. I wrote book proposals. I did all the research. I did all of this work that led to those opportunities that happened. So you got to be prepared for it and you got to really put in the sweat equity. And then when those, you have to be ready for when those doors of opportunity open. So I think that that's a really important for other professionals and other bartenders that want to 
take that into, into their career. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the other quote, um, actually was from Tony Abuganum who said it's uh, it's the journey, not the destination that matters, which really kind of, you know, live in the moment, you Love know, live, live, appreciate what's around you and that you are living your life now, not necessarily for this future thing. Um, yeah, it's the journey. Be, be present. Yeah. Be present. Yeah. Love it. Question number four here for you, penultimate one. Mm-hmm. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? There's so many. And I think my answer would actually tie into the, it's the journey, not the destination that matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the soggy dollar bar in BVI. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's so much about the journey of getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I had the, I had, I, for a family vacation a couple of years, a few years ago, right before the pandemic, we went to BVI as a family and it is, that is not an easy bar to get to. Like we chartered a boat, but you got to like literally jump off of your boat and go swim to shore, you know, unless you're flying to that little Island. Jeez. But um, yeah, it's a journey to get there, but that, that is like half the fun. So I think I would totally want to go, want to go back there and experience that again because of the journey to get to that bar. And it's, it's a lovely bar. It does sound incredible. Last question for you here today, Kim. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? The Hemingway Daiquiri. The Hemingway Daiquiri was the very first craft cocktail I ever had, which made me kind of like step And everybody I think that is in this, that kind of craft cocktail world has had that experience where you're like, whoa, that is something different that I've never experienced before. So a Hemingway daiquiri is, you know, it's like a classic daiquiri, but it has a little bit of grapefruit in it. It's got, um, you know, a little more nuanced at our bar. We actually do a torched Hemingway daiquiri, which caramelizes the glass. But, um, but it's one of the, I think it would bring me it every time I have one, it kind of brings me back to that moment of first experiencing something that was really nuanced and delicious and had layers of flavor. Um, but yet it's, it's not an overly complicated drink either. So I think I it would probably be the Hemingway because that's the, that's the one that, that's the one that brought me in. And that if that was the last one, that would be the one that brought me out. Nice. But I'd be the Hemingway. Incredible. Where, where, where is the, if, if I can take a kind of cultural temperature here within the bar community, where, where, where does the greater community stand there with, have I heard that some folks are like, that's not, because people, because obviously a well-made daiquiri is so revered. Like, is that the same case for the Hemingway or is this one of those ones that's kind of like the Vesper that people try and bash it a bit, but actually it is a great drink? Yeah. You know, I think originally the Hemingway daiquiri, they made it because it has less sugar in it. Yeah. Ernest Hemingway was thought to have like diabetes and didn't like too much sugar in his drink. So he, you know, replaced grapefruit, but I, you know, I mean, just like the margarita, just like any of the other cocktails, yeah. I think you can always do your own riff. I can't stand it when people are like, that's not the way you should be making that drink. Yeah. You know what? You should be making it the way people want to have that drink. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. And sorry, I didn't mean to take away from your selection there, but I was just, I was yeah. just wondering, like it did prompt that for me. And the, it's definitely the first time that drink has come up so far on this podcast. So definitely one wow. for us to explore in the future. 
Yeah. Oh God. It's one of, it's one of my favorites. Um, that's the first drink that I actually had the, the Luxardo Maraschino mm-hmm. in. Um, and that is such a, a funky, fun, like, you know, it's kind of seen as like one of the Holy grails of, of cordials, but gosh, man, it's such a, such a fun drink in that such a fun spirit to use in mm-hmm. that drink. Well, Kim, thanks so much again for joining us today. I'm looking over my shoulder here at the Vine Pear Bar. I see a 10-pound bag of mint waiting to be shocked. So I'm going to need to excuse myself here, but thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Tim. I really uh, appreciated the chat. This was super fun. A lot of fun. Until next time. Until next time. Bye-bye. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript. So you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, Vine Pair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vine Pair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at Vine Pair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.